Hello, 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 everybody. This is Joe Cotter, the American Cancer Society's Research Department. Welcome to Theory Lab. Thanks for listening. I'm here with my friend, the host, the interviewer, the brilliant scientist, the good doctor, Susanna Greer. How's it going? Oh, my gosh. With an introduction like that, things are awesome. How are you, Joe? I'm feeling good. And um, <laughs> very proud to work alongside you at ACS. One of the cool things that, that we've been doing for a couple of years Okay, well, let me rephrase. We've been funding women scientists uh, since our research program started in 1946. And when you go back and look at our funding statistics, I'm, I'm proud of where we're at in terms of funding women scientists. But we can always do more. The field can definitely do more. And, and this is one of the reasons why we've started Research HERS, Women Fighting Cancer. It's a, it's a movement to really engage women to raise funds to directly support women cancer researchers. So I'm usually not guilty of mansplaining because I'm not actually smart enough to explain anything. But the last thing I'm going to do is mansplain why it's hard to be a woman in science. Dr. Greer, take it away. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. That would have probably resulted in a, a revolt across the country. But but you're exactly right. So thank you. You, you laid the groundwork for me to say that you know, the challenges that are faced by women in research are, are certainly well established. I think what we have learned over the past 12 months is that the pandemic has 100% exacerbated these challenges as um, many scientists who are parents and juggle responsibilities of running labs and mentoring and teaching and writing and starting companies and writing grants. I mean, all the while facing issues that typically fall more to women, things like childcare and virtual learning and running households, right? In the middle of this pandemic, it this has been a challenging year for all women researchers. So you and I wanted to highlight something that's happening that's really awesome for women researchers. And we found right here in Atlanta, this amazing program at Georgia Tech called female founders. And we wanted to highlight female founders, uh, hear from some of the women in this program and what their challenges are and what this program, kind of the voids that this program has filled just to maybe pivot and help stimulate organically some ideas that, that other people can use to help women researchers. So Joe, do you want to tell us a little bit about female founders? Yes. Okay. A direct order to mansplain female founders. Got it. So the Female Founders is a program that coaches Georgia Tech female-led teams through evidence-based entrepreneurship and innovation centered on customer discovery. It was co-created by one of our guests today, Melissa Hefner. Melissa is a program director with Georgia Institute of Technology's Venture Lab, which is Georgia Tech's incubator for technology startups. And along with Melissa, we have three other guests who were, who are female founders with the program. We have Dr. Ana Quiroga. She's a postdoctoral fellow in the Biological Systems Engineering Laboratory at Emory University and Georgia Tech. She's also the CEO of Seneca. Allison Jennings is a PhD candidate in the School of Electrical and Computer Engineering at the Georgia Institute of Technology. And Casey Kale is a PhD candidate in biomedical engineering at Florida International University. So yeah, you're about to hear from four amazing women. Ah, 
you guys are going to love these women. And it was just such an uplifting experience to hear from them. And um, I just, I, I wish them absolutely the best of luck. But you know what, Joe, they don't need it. They're going to be amazing. And um, so let's listen, female founders. Hello, female founders, and welcome to the Theory Lab podcast. I'm so excited to see you all today. Hi, so excited to be here today, too. Hi, thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much for having us. Hey, Susanna, thrilled to be here. All right, well, if it's if it's all right with you guys, we're going to dive in. And I think, I think I'd like to start with Melissa. We've, we know that you are one of the leaders of this troop. So help us understand why we're here today. Let's, I guess I have two questions. Maybe just tell us about female founders and what do you hope to achieve through this program? So, hey, thanks, Susanna. So female founders came out of an idea that my colleague at Georgia Tech and I had, Sarah Henderson. Uh, one of our main roles at Georgia Tech is teaching entrepreneurship to research faculty and students. And we wanted to create a program specifically for women who were considering trying to create a startup. Okay, well, I mean, that all sounds fantastic. So why then did you want to do something, I guess, specifically for women, right? You were already teaching entrepreneurship to all the folks at Georgia Tech. You mentioned faculty and students, but it sounds like you had seen some need specifically for female entrepreneurs. Exactly. So Sarah and I were chatting after we had finished teaching a class and we sort of looked at each other and said, where, where are all the women? Um, we know that there's a lot of really sharp women on campus who are doing good things with their research and probably have an idea of how it could be developed further to do some more for the common good. But we're not seeing that representation reflected in our programs. And we know that representation in education matters. And so we thought, why don't we create a program that has all female coaches and has successful Atlanta-based female entrepreneurs so that women coming into the program it could better see themselves reflected in the folks that they're learning from and could envision what the future could actually look like as an entrepreneur. Oh, I love that. Let me dive down into that a little more. So that's interesting. So you said you weren't seeing women equally represented in your programs. Maybe, I mean, just off the top of your head, if you had looked at a previous class of entrepreneurs, what percentage might have been women? Oh, so math is not my strong suit, Susanna, but I will say that um, in a class of perhaps 20, we had maybe two or three teams that were predominantly women or that were female-led. Okay, Melissa, that is super interesting. So you said that, I mean, math not being your strong suit, <laughs> right, that just looking out on the, the classes that you and Sarah have taught in entrepreneurship at Georgia Tech, that you were seeing maybe, it sounds like 10% or 15%, but certainly not 50% of the participants being women. Does that Correct. sound reasonable? Yeah, okay. not by any stretch, no. Okay, so in female founders, by when you look out at, we're all in a Zoom world now, when you look out at a, a, a Zoom meeting, what does that feel like? 
it it's phenomenal. Um, it is one of the best days of our week when we're teaching that particular class. And um, we come out of that Zoom meeting super pumped. Um, and I'll tell you, you know, businesses that are founded by women, ultimately, if they're given the the right tools to succeed, they ultimately deliver a higher revenue. When Sarah and I were researching doing this program, we found that female-led companies typically generate 10% more in revenue than men do, male-led companies, yet they only receive about 7% of the funding that's raised. And so having support from a like-minded network of women that can boost your confidence and your motivation and your productivity um, can really have an impact on the success of a female founder. That's great. So those are impressive statistics. Also a little bit, whew, we've got some work cut out for us. So thank goodness you guys have this class and, and, and are really encouraging these young women. So you mentioned that having a, having female leadership can increase the revenue of a company, but when we are starting companies that a very small percentage of that initial startup funding goes to women. And that sounds like that's really where the nexus of your class, your course begins is how do we best prepare women to become successful entrepreneurs? So just, just to help our audience really understand what you're doing to help set these women up for success. You mentioned that you have, um, connected them with female coaches, with entrepreneurs and the community? Is there anything else that happens differently in these classes? Um, so one of the things Sarah and I felt pretty strongly about, and um, we had some conversations with some folks at Georgia Tech that are they're wiser than we are in terms of gender issues and gender studies, is we did not want this to be a men versus women type program. And so we wanted this to really be a, what are your strengths as a person? And we started the program with doing some assessment and doing some strength finding to determine, um, you know, what what each of these women was really going to excel at. So for instance, there's this myth that women are bad at negotiating. And we did not want to look at issues such as negotiating through the lens of just being a woman. There are plenty of people in this world that are poor negotiators. We wanted all of these women to understand what their specific strengths are, how that could play into their success as an entrepreneur, and then by identifying perhaps weaknesses that they had, they would know better how to grow a team and how to surround themselves with people that would ultimately lead to their success. Ah, awesome. So play to your strengths. All right. Melissa, this is just an incredible program. So I want to I wanna talk to some of these female founders. Allison, let's start with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fantastic. As Melissa said, this may just be the best day of my week talking to some amazing <laughs> women. <laughs> All right. So um, we introduced you earlier in the podcast, but you are a PhD student at Georgia Tech and you find yourself in the School of Electrical and Computer Engineering. And of course, you're on the podcast because you're an entrepreneur in the Female Founders Program. So just help us understand why, why did you want to join? Why did you apply for to be a part of Female Founders? Sure. Um, so it was kind of twofold. I wanted to develop a relationship with some profes uh, professionals that had experience in starting businesses. I have so many questions 
and I didn't know who I could ask them to. So Venture Labs is a great resource for that. But on top of that, the second reason is um, in my day-to-day work, I actually don't have any female leaders. So I, I was really looking for some female mentors. Um, electrical and computer engineering, as well as venture capital, can be really male-dominated. So it can be intimidating. Uh, so female founders gave me the opportunity to get female mentors, as well as you know get some exposure to um, business leaders. So let's talk about a little bit about that exposure. You you have a technology that you brought with you to female founders. It's called Solo Pulse. So yes. I think our our listeners would love to know what, first of all, what does your technology do? Sure. So um, SolarPulse, it takes a step back to underlying physics. Current imaging techniques have been developed with a lot of assumptions and simplifications because of uh, computing power that we had in the past and hardware limitations. So we got back to like basic physics, basic theory, and we created this new algorithm um, that lets you improve image processing techniques and it, it comes with benefits like better resolution, making diagnostics easy, easier, um, reduction in radiation, which is obviously very important for cancer patients, as well as um, giving us a chance to do preventative scans. Um, and then there's no need for this 3D spinning um, that happens when you get put inside of a tube. Um, so it could be more comfortable as well as more portable. Um, so there's a lot of benefits from it, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing what happens. You know, Allison, I think about basic physics all the time. I mean, Joe is just <laughs> constantly, right, developing new <laughs> algorithms. Oh, thank goodness for entrepreneurs like you. So help us understand. Um, you mentioned that there could be an impact for cancer patients. There'll be an impact for a lot of patients who are thinking about imaging and going through imaging, but maybe... Help us to get a picture of what do you see as the potential impact of your technology? Sure. So I think the biggest impact that we see is how it's hopefully going to be portable. Um, We're currently testing it on ultrasound right now, which is a pretty portable machine. Um, So we want to make it where we can get medicine to a lot more people. So it's going to be provided to a lot more people. And then um, there's the emotional comfort of not necessarily having to go into a tube and someone can come bedside and, and look at, you know, how how are things progressing or and then I guess finally the biggest thing that we see is uh, the reduction in radiation. Um, so you can actually get a preventative scan at your yearly physical um, so that you can know much sooner um, if you have cancer or not, which will help your uh chances of recovery. Wow, Allison, this is a incredible technology. And I love all the things that that you shared are things that we think about in the cancer space all the time. Um, but yeah. what really resonated with me is your, your efforts to increase equity and emotional burden on patients. And certainly when we think about cancer, we think about all the things in our environment that we're exposed to we call that the exposome, but certainly radiation is one of them. So yeah, good luck. This is incredible. Thank you. All right, Anna, how are you today? Really good, thank you. Awesome. So you're in a little bit different position than Allison and Casey because you're a postdoctoral fellow. And for our listeners, that means you've already gotten that PhD and 
uh, as we heard in your introduction, you're actually in the biomedical systems engineer engineering lab at Georgia Tech, and you're an entrepreneur. So let's let's talk about female founders. How has this program met your needs um, as you kind of began this entrepreneurial process? Well, yeah, after the PhD and as a postdoc, you know, we are very focused on research and basic science. But to put a product in the market and make it available for patients, we need to think in another way. We, we need to do research, but focus on the user's needs. So in our case, uh, PyCIT is a clinician decision support that is going to simulate the patient response to chemotherapy or novel therapies like immunotherapy or small molecules uh, for patients uh, with uh, AML or leukemia, acute myeloid leukemia. So we need to think about the what is the how is the clinician going to use the tool, right? What is the value for the clinician and the patient to see uh, the predictions in terms of the personalized treatment, uh, and also how we need to do pivoting and like change our product to adapt to their needs. So it's basically taking taking the product from the lab and put it in the market and be making something useful. So changing that is is the way that. Um, female founder help us, right? Oh, I love that. And I, one of the things that you said really resonates with me because I'm a scientist too. And you're right. You said that so much of our training as grad students and postdocs is all around research and tweaking and changing and getting that product to be exactly right. But you said, what if, what if no one wants to use it exactly. or they can't? <laughs> yeah. It. yeah. So it sounds like female founders has helped you to maybe change the way you think about the use of your product and delivery and really focus on how is this going to be used. So let me, I, I, I want to hear a little bit more. You actually have a company. So help me with the pronunciation of your company. What's it called? Sonica. Sonica. Okay. And you've You've developed what sounds just incredible, a precision chemoimmunotherapy. And this, again, is a software tool. So tell us a little bit more about it. Why, what have you learned? Why, why might we need this tool in oncology? Well, first of all, around 20,000 people are going to be diagnosed this year with acute myeloid leukemia in the U.S., right? And these patients are going to receive a standard treatment. And unfortunately, for some people that, I mean, for some people that may have my say, the same height and weight are going to receive exactly the same dosage. So there is problems with overdose uh, or underdose of, uh, of certain treatments and also for non-responders. So if, if, you, if you do not respond to a certain drug, what is the alternative, right? So there, there are many things that we need to think about in terms of how we can improve this. And first, we need to personalize the treatment. Uh, not only based on, on the patient heterogeneity, we are all different, right? We're going to process the, the, these medications in a different way, but also the tumor, because the tumors are all also different with different mutations. And second, we need to predict what is going to happen in time. If you receive this, this treatment, how will you respond? So we can predict over a year what will be your response, but not to one treatment, but for to many different treatments. And we can see the reduction of the of the tumor and also the recovery of your normal self because you want to recover to where you were before before being ill, right? And the most important thing of our tool is uh, the treatment optimization. So once you select the treatment, we optimize the personalize the dose 
how is it going to be given if it's an injection or an infusion? So if you need to stay for a long period of time in the hospital and also when you're going to be ready for the next cycle. So there are many things that we cover with this uh, product. That's amazing. So it allows us to really, with this tool, to take into greater consideration all the all the different scenarios. And I love the way that you capture it as being, first of all, there are an enormous variety of different types of treatment regimens, giving them to lots of different people, right? And there are many different drugs and mm-hmm. little time to make the decision in terms of which treatment you should choose. So the, the clinician needs to have this, okay, you're going to respond this way, in this way, in different treatments. So you can make it quicker and cheaper and more effective. So the idea is to empower clinicians with this predictive software to personalize and accelerate the treatment selection. Uh, because patients do not have time. We are talking about acute myeloid leukemia. It's in a very aggressive type of cancer. So the sooner, the better. Yeah, you're exactly right. What a fabulous tool. and. And then I love that you're also thinking forward to a positive outcome where once the cancer is resolved, we also want to help this individual who you're right. We all come in different shapes and sizes to return to um, the quality of life they had before. And and all of this is going to be so individualized. So, ah, good luck to you. This is just amazing. Thank you. All right. Casey, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for asking. Awesome. So, Casey, you also are a PhD student and also in biomedical engineering, but you're at Florida International University. So, how how were you able to join Female Founders, I guess, and how has it changed your um, entrepreneurial approach? I would say before I didn't have any entrepreneurial approach because, uh, as Anna touched on before, and, and you mentioned as well, you know, I'm purely academia based. You You're know? a scientist. So, exactly. So aside from, you know, Melissa and Sarah completely teaching me, you know, all of the business language and, you know, pretty much everything surrounding that, um, I think I've started to view my product in a different light as well. Uh, you know, as a researcher, I think my product is X, but as an entrepreneur, I see the potential value is, um, you know, is Y. And it's not that one's better than the other. They're both true, but now I can sort of better understand the value propositions. And I think also just hearing other people's stories and their technologies, you know, how they created it. It's so beneficial to have that that girl power there and, you know, hearing that, you know, they're failing, too. So we're just going to keep failing until we succeed. (laughs) Okay, I haven't heard a lot of failing on this podcast. Well, you don't don't see the fails, unfortunately, but that's why it's so important that, you know, you have that 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 connection between females that you can. You'd say, hey, it's okay. You know, we're all we're all failing a lot, but it's that one success, you know, that's going to count. Yeah, we call them uh, pivots. <laughs> pivots. Exactly. I like it, girl. Girl power to the pivot. Okay, so Casey, so I I want to hear. I want to dive a little bit more into what you said, which is that you were thinking about your product in a different way. So I read a little bit about what you knew, and I I know that you have a product that provides a diagnostic assessment of um, tissue oxygenation. So exactly what it sounds, the amount of oxygen in a tissue, but it says it allows folks to use a smartphone um, in order to provide this, this analytic approach with a tool. So first of all, why would we need this tool? Well, the, the tool is important for, for many applications. I think um, the direction right now is more for virtual-based care, uh, which is 
very important, especially now during the pandemic. Um, but I think if we could just be a little more clear on what exactly the, the device does. So it's combining visual images. So it's using visible light that we can see. And it's combining that with near-infrared images, which uses light that we cannot see. And we're, we are looking at changes that occur beneath the, the surface of the skin. So that can be how much oxygenation is there, or it could also be related to how the blood is flowing to those regions. So that could be applied for a couple of different reasons. But like I said, mainly the tools that are there for remote patient monitoring is really the direction of this product. You know, I think you've really hit home in a place that will resonate with a lot of cancer patients because, as you know, all patients, certainly including cancer patients, have had to change the way they interact with their oncologists during COVID. And we've all become a lot more, I think, flexible and appreciative of the fact that we can get a lot in the virtual setting, right? A lot of interactions, which can be really critical. So th this actually sounds like a pretty amazing tool. So maybe tell us who would you specifically hope to impact? Maybe could you provide a situation, a little example? Yes, of course. So currently uh, we're looking at di diabetics. So these are people that either have diabetic foot ulcers or that they're at high risk for ulceration. And we're, augment we're augmenting their maintenance of their diabetic foot, uh, which I want to mention these are chronic wounds. So these patients have these wounds for years. Uh, and that means that they have to have constant supervision to prevent any type of infection, which will lead to amputation. And that means complying in weekly visitations. So uh, we're doing a collaborative uh, study right now with University of Miami Research Hospital. Um, and I see patients there, it's very difficult for them. Um, and when you're considering transportation time, the clinical fees, you know, oftentimes these patients are movement compromised. And, you know, recently because of the pandemic, um, their visitations were completely halted. And so we, we thought, you know, this technology could be applied, like I said, in the telemedicine field. But also, it can also be applied to normal healing wounds. So we also looked at patients following plastic surgery. Uh, that was another customer segment that we interviewed. Um, even trauma-related incidents. So often, a lot of people leave in emergency rooms. There's a lack of follow-up um, on this patient. So lots of times, they, they get infection and complications. And then also, we've done um, a collaborative study with the Miami Cancer Institute. And we've looked at changes in oxygenation that occur uh, following proton or photon therapy. And changes that are occurring as the patient is developing radiation dermatitis. Um, so our most recent pivot has been that possibly these clinicians and physicians will benefit from this tool because it allows for their in-home in patient monitoring. Nice. You know, one of the things that has really come to light for me as I've been thinking, as you said, about all these different settings is just how much patients spend to get to the hospital, right, or to get to. I mean, I, I it's ridiculous that I didn't think about this before, but things like parking and, yes. you know, riding the bus, right? Or taking, asking a friend and helping to pay for their gas or paying yes. for an Uber, right? Or, and then childcare or elder, I mean, all the things. So, ah, this is, this is really, so first of all, I think the impact is incredible of your, your technology in the virtual space, but then also, as you said, just to get a, um, a readout in all these different areas. I'm thinking of like mastectomy patients who are thinking um, about their, you know, their post-surgery uh, uh, readout. Uh, right. These radiation. I mean, dermatite. This is just really impressive. So, congratulations. I guess the uh, the goal is that if we can allow patients to monitor themselves, um, they can have a little bit of an ease of mind in knowing that you know their treatment plan is is progressing as it should be. 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's the least we can do for cancer patients is to help them know that we're doing our part, they're doing theirs, and this is what's happening. Um, and to get, I think, one of the things that I've learned about cancer patients and all patients is it's that wait time, right, of having to go in to find out what's the result of um, this treatment that I've had. So any any information in the interim will be really greatly appreciated. So good luck to you. Well, thank you so much. All right. I want to ask you all the same question, but I'm going to start with you, Anna, and then um, we'll go to Allison and Casey. So Anna, I think that you're in a space that a lot of scientists find themselves in, right? They have this idea. They think maybe I could commercialize this. I could impact patients. So I, is there a piece of advice maybe that you would share or something that you wish you had known sooner, maybe done differently? So let's start with you, Anna. I think something they would have done different. I think I shouldn't have waited so long to start being like, become an entrepreneur. Um, I think if we invented something, right, and it's good for patients, uh, we have to become an entrepreneur. And I feel that it is my responsibility to put this out and to give the patients the opportunity to use this tool and get a better personalized treatment, right? So to stop feeling that <laughs> pressure and responsibility, being an entrepreneur and trying, right, it, it feel, I feel a relief. I think I shouldn't have done it before. And knowing sooner, I think I should have looked uh, earlier for resources. There are tons of resources, not just at the organization level, like Georgia Tech and Emory and in the Georgia state and, and the national level, but also different resources in terms of what we need, right? In terms of business knowledge, uh, how to do incorporation, uh, legal advice and finance, all that is, of, is, is there. So I, I, I should have looked <laughs> before. Uh, and uh, to, to be prepared, but it, it's never late. And, and I found, I met amazing people that are helping us to, to get this, this done. All right, Allison, what about you? What, what advice yeah. would you share? Yeah, so I'm gonna second what Anna said about time and jumping into it. So I think as a lot of times scientists, we want to have um, certainty that it's going to work or you know, more data is better. So we keep working on it before we feel like it's ready. Um, but what we don't realize is that there's so much that goes into um, knowing if this is the best application and there's a lot of business that goes into it that you also need to be working on in tandem. Um, so not being afraid to come to someone like and the group of female founders. I didn't think I was ready to apply, but now um, I realize that working on them at the same time is best. And then when I go to apply for funding, I know more specifically what I'm trying to do because I know who needs it the most. Um, so not being afraid and just going and, and, and actually doing the entrepreneurship because there's so much support out there um, and you don't have to have it completely figured out. Um, and they'll let you know what you need to have before they can, before you can get that funding. Um, so that's like definitely the biggest thing. And Something that uh, Casey touched on earlier is like you will have these failures, but it may be for a specific problem um, and you can pivot and find, you know, there might be another group of people that could benefit from your technology. So um, just, you know, keep trucking along and, and there's probably going to be someone out there that could benefit from what you've created. All right, Casey, what about you? Any advice? 
I mean, I, I feel like they hit the nail on the head completely. Definitely the time uh, crunch is something that uh, I think a lot of people wait, you, you're waiting for that one fine day or, Hey, maybe I'll wait till I graduate. And then I'm not affiliated with my school. You know, you have these thoughts, but honestly, uh, I think starting a pro or a, a company with that academia base is so much better because I have like, an entire team. They're all looking out for me. They're here to, you know, to see me succeed. So it's, it's really awesome to, to have that. And I would have never had that experience if I hadn't done this, you know, as a student. So I think that that's the, definitely the number one thing was the timing and then just never take no for an answer. You know, people are going to tell you no constantly. Um, like we looked at the statistics earlier, women not receiving, you know, as many grants that's might be, but instead of looking at it in that light, just keep, you know, keep moving forward. Look for the next one that's for you. So Melissa, oh my gosh, this has just been incredible. These women are just so impressive, but one of the things, one of the themes that I've heard through their answers really resonates with me, and that is that our training as scientists does not align with entrepreneurship. I, I'm thinking of back to my grad school days when you just wanted to make sure every detail of every experiment was right and before you wrote that paper, and then it was just so hard to stop, and I can imagine that that all scientists um, have that struggle when they're thinking about when to bring a product or an idea um, to to market, to think about commercialization. And what these women have said is do it. So not everyone has access to a program like Female Founders. I'd, I'd love to know what advice you have um, to share with our researchers. So with cancer researchers who are considering launching a company in the oncology space? So that's a great question, Susanna. And I'll start with this. Um, given that we are all virtual right now due to COVID-19, all of our programs for the foreseeable future will be through um, WebEx or Zoom or BlueJeans, what, whatever, what platform have you. Um, anybody who wants to join this specific program, they're welcome. And we accept applications um, from around the country. We've had folks join us from Maryland, from Texas, from Florida. We're located in Atlanta, um, but we'll take an application from anyone uh, who who is looking for this type of programming and this type of support. Uh, there's also the National Science Foundation has an Innovation Core program, and they accept grants. I'm sorry, they accept applications um, to award grants to teams who are looking to uncover whether or not the technology they're working on has commercial application. And so this Innovation Core program awards uh, research scientists up to $50,000 to do a lot of this discovery about the customer and about the market and what the needs really are. Um, to get them going. And we love to work with teams that are still early on in their research and not exactly sure how it might be applicable in a larger space in the world, um, because then you are able to make changes and make these pivots like we talked about um, and really provide a solution that's going to be easily ad adoptable and have a long-term use for a large group of people. Well, thank you all. I'm so impressed with each of you female founders. Wish you the absolute best of luck. And um, we'll look forward to seeing those grant applications to the American Cancer Society soon. Sounds like you're well on your way. You guys take care. You do the Bye. same. Thank, thank you. you.